Should we just dive into this week's topics? Well, possibly, but again, in two minutes' time, I am going to go and get my cup of tea and put the milk in it and come back with it. Mm. Um, but I can't think of a meaningful way of dithering for two whole minutes, so perhaps we just should, and I'll do it quietly. Yeah, I could uh, update everyone on Hellblade, because last week I hadn't finished the game. Mm-hmm. I was about two hours away from the ending, and it turned out those last two hours were the best part of the game. I felt like, okay... Are they finally going to justify this? Because the build-up to the finale was really good. And I felt like, okay, this could still be worth it. I could give this a very light recommendation. And then I saw the ending. Ah. And the ending is crap. And it's like, oh, okay, never mind. (laughs) Nobody should play this. (laughs) Fair enough. If If you've done it all start to finish and you know there's no content there worth looking at. Yeah. So, <laughs> it's amazing how an ending can just uh, pull the air out of anything. Because, you know, it, it builds, it builds, it builds. And it's like, oh, it's all coming together now. And it, then it, at the end, it's like, oh, no, they didn't actually figure out an ending. It felt mm-hmm. like multiple different ideas kind of awkwardly mashed together, kind of held together with my favorite thing, voiceover narration over the ending, which is, feels like... Uh, emergency uh, yes. plot uh, patching. It, it's it's like in Brave that opens and ends with horrible narration. That's nonsense. <laughs> Brave the film. Yes. I'd forgotten about the... Uh, I'd forgotten about that I just because I only saw it once when it first came out and it was such nonsense that I haven't seen it again. Yeah. <laughs> and in this, it just felt insecure because of the narration it felt like someone very worried about the yeah. ending and didn't really understand or have a cl- they hadn't nailed the ending so they they put a bunch of things together that sort of end it and it's sort of ambiguous as well but in a bad way it's mm. ambiguous in a way that oh, we we don't know what we're doing it could be this it could be that we're not committing 100% to it, and the worst thing was that the the final lines of the narration and the main character looking at the camera and then walking away heavily implied that, uh, oh, we want to make this a Hellblade franchise with multiple entries. It's like, oh, fuck off. (laughs) So, yeah, and I did not like Hellblade. Anyway. (laughs) Nah, this game sounds silly. Yeah. And I wrote a negative review on Steam, which was well-received. Five people voted it positively. Nobody has voted down my review. Must be true then. Yeah, and a rando showed up and commented on the review and said, I played this for an hour, but it was so boring. (laughs) I was like, yep, (laughs) that's an accurate assessment. (laughs) And I assured him that he didn't miss anything by not uh, finishing it. Mm. Yeah. Speaking of finishing, I'm going to go and finish my making my cup of tea. And then I can really commit to this podcast. Yeah. So, after that, after I'd finished Hellbait, I, sta- I started, you know, staring at my pile of backlog games. And I was thinking, like, okay, what do I want to play next? What, what am I most interested in? And one of the games that I play uh, bought from uh, the bargain bin... Uh, for PS3 is The Legend of Heroes, colon, Trails of Cold Steel. It's uh, 
from the makers of Ease. Uh, it's by Falcom. Th this is the 11th game in a series that started in 1989 wow. with the first game, Dragon Slayer, colon, The Legend of Heroes, and at some point they switched the names around. And so, 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 And that wasn't a sequel to Dragon Slayer, that was... No, that, that was the first game. This uh, this series has been around, you know, since '89, and it's never been a hit. Nobody gives a shit about this series. Nobody knows it exists. Done well <laughs> to hang on this long, then. Yeah, and it's pr most of the entries have been released in the 2000s. Uh, in the eight games in the series that's been released in the 2000s, so five of them before that. Mm -hmm. Anyway, the point of this series for Falcom as a company was that they have the gameplay-focused series in Ease, <clears throat> where the story is light and basic, but the game mechanics are like the 100% focus there, and the music. And this was like more traditional turn-based combat, but the story is better in the Legend okay. of Heroes series. And I've never played any of these games properly. I played one of them for two hours, uh, like, years ago. and But uh, I bought this in a bargain bin on PS3. And it came out on PS3 in, like, 2013. And it's a PS Vita game with a PS3 port. So, uh, and 2015 came out in English in, in, on PS3. And then in August 2017, it came out on PC. And because I bought this in a bargain bin a long time ago, you know, the PC port wasn't announced, did it exist at the time. So I thought that, oh, this is a PS3 game only that I'll play sometime later. But I'd heard that the PC port was fantastic. So I decided, and I saw in the humble sale, the humble Christmas sale, it's still going on, that it was on sale. So I thought, okay, I if, I, if I'm going to play this, I want to do it on PC. But do I actually want to play this? So I decided to yes. sit down and like commit and like I'm gonna play this now until I make a decision of can I see myself finishing it or playing this at all? I wanted to see if if it was capable of hooking me because we we all have games that we bought and it's just been sitting on the shelf forever. Like it took me years to play the Yakuza games. I bought Yakuza three and four when they came out. And Dead Souls, and I played Yakuza 3 after all of those came out. I think I had Yakuza 3 for like two, three years before I even started it. And it's the same with like Nier. I had I bought it at the same time as I bought the PS3, and then like, I don't know, five, six years later I played it. <laughs> same with Vanquish. I played that like several, like a half decade after I bought it. <laughs> so anyway, this is... a. Uh, it's been one of those games. But so, so I played it for about 50 minutes. And at that point, I felt like, okay, I'm enjoying this. <laughs> Good. <laughs> so I'm going to get the PC version. And a thing that I feel it's, I've had to do with myself, like mentally, is I've had to adjust my expectations downward when playing this game. Because Falcom is a small company. And I feel like they're admirably small. And persistent. They've been they founded in like March of 1981. Uh -huh. When I've been following some people that you know listen to their financial reports in Japanese and translate to English, they're like the source for that other news sites use. And 
when they decide like a successful game for them is a game selling 50,000 copies that's enough oh. for them to justify making a sequel to that game okay like that's nice yeah we're so inundated with news headlines of games like we have to sell millions of copies to break even the only yeah. way we're as a success for us is selling 30 million copies it's like no this these people have been around for decades they're not going anywhere yeah they're, they have consistent like staff and employees they, they employ 49 people they work on like three games at the same time which means that it's not 49 people per game it's like i don't know 10 people per game yeah <laughs> and they, they they have a sustainable development environment like they keep the lights on they 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 make a profit but they're not aiming at making crazy high budget high risk games no they i looked up like persona 5 was in development for five years and it started with 40 people and expanded to 70 people during development and during the time they made persona 5 falcom made and released seven games wow <laughs> yeah <laughs> so you can't expect the same thing from falcom as with persona it's just they're completely different <laughs> yeah. so th these games are more adorable in their production quality they're much crappier looking they are of course rushed out uh, comparatively there's some things that I find weird across like PlayStation Vita based games, like walking speed and walking animations never match. <laughs> Why? <laughs> it's like, is, is that a system limitation? Like, why can't anyone do it? I've seen this in so many Vita based games. <laughs> I wonder then. I wonder if they, I wonder if they were trying. I wonder if some Vita games were made with in mind a hopeful port to PS2 or 3 or whatever was around at the yep. time, and then it, that didn't come, and they had to downgrade it for the Vita, and it suffered in some way because of that. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I, I found this like amusing, and added kind of bit of data on, like, no, you can actually run a small company. It's possible, even though Western developers don't think seem to think so anyway <laughs> uh, when uh, this game uh, trails of cold steel came out in japan it sold 81,000 copies on ps vita 67,000 copies on ps3 which resulted in quote-unquote significant profits for the company why is it why is this normal <laughs> why, is, yeah, why, why is this unusual like find it so amusing anyway i guess the the negative here is that, yeah, you do have to suspend your disbelief in a different way <clears throat> compared to, like, Persona or something. Like, sure. those games, you know, they have Persona 5, like, the, the most amazing-looking uh, user interface of any game. And right. that's what you get from 70 people working for five years, and yeah. they sell 2 million copies of that game, whereas this is a few hundred thousand copies. Yeah. But whatever. This is for a different audience because, as I've seen in people's opinions, like I went into the official Falcom Discord where people 
and I looked at the forums where people th- asking like, okay, so I played this game and liked it. What else can I play that's like this? And it's like, people are drawing a blank because there are superficial similarities with other games, but it's a bit like saying, I liked Sleeping Dogs. What else can I play that's like Sleeping Dogs? At that point, it's like, well, there's nothing. <laughs> you, you could play GTA. You could play Saints yeah. Row, but it's not really like Sleeping yeah. Dogs. <laughs> it's superficially like it. It's like, oh, you, it has Arkham-like fighting system. Maybe you like Batman Arkham Asylum. It's not really like Sleeping Dogs, is it? <laughs> and this is similar. It's like Persona 4 is like a supernatural murder mystery. And this is this is not that. Even yeah. though both games take place in like uh, a high school. and Well, all Japanese <laughs> things take place in a high school. You have to allow for that from the off. Yeah. <laughs> and this is uh, one of the immediate like barriers with this game. Because I feel like many people will bounce off this game when they see the cover, when they see any promotional artwork for this, because it's uh, they will be repulsed by the visual style, because it's unapologetically anime-styled. A thing I noticed when I played this, um, I, I'm like a Falcon veteran with certain franchises, but not this one. And it's clear that Falcom, compared to, like, Hyperdimension Neptunia, which has a lot of panty shots and boob groping jokes, and it's kind of very low brow. Falcom is not that. There are no perverted elements in this at all. There are no. Wow. There's what, none. There's no fan service anywhere. It's clearly wow. deliberate. This is clearly company-wide mandate. Was like they're not interested in making that kind of content. They they want to have like their name means something. Where it's like, oh, you played one of our other franchises and you find it, you enjoy the content in it. If you buy any of our games, you will find similarly themed stuff, and yeah. it w- w- they'll never stoop low to get sales from uh, creeps. Instead, this is totally like family friendly. You can actually play this in front of family members without them looking at you like uh, you're a degenerate. (laughs) (laughs) At least not for this. Technical things about the PC port. The reason the PC port is good is because, you know, Durante, the guy who made the resolution patch for Dark Souls and the resolution patch for Deadly Premonition. Yes. The people who localized this decided to just hire him to port the game for them. Perfect. It is the best port of anything I've ever played. (laughs) First off, it runs on hardware slower than PS Vita and the PlayStation 3. Okay. It scales lower. Like, the system requirements are the lowest I've seen for any game. It runs on an Intel Atom processor. Those are processors so bad. You can barely run a web browser on them. You can play this game on it. (laughs) And then it scales upward in the best possible way. Where it's like, okay, so you you couldn't realistically expect them to make new assets for this. So what can you do? Well, post-processing effect, like depth of field shadow resolution, number of shadows, level of detail scaling, all that stuff 
you can just crank it up to the max. So mm -hmm. you basically you turn off the view distance limitate limitations and uh, level of detail scan. So there's no popping ever because that okay. system is just off now. Okay. And in the original, there's like limitations on number of shadows and the distance to render that. Here it's like no, that's off. Everything has shadows, and you see it as far away as the graphics is rendered at a much higher resolution. So it seems, I mean, that just to hear you describe it, it sounds like wasteful, like that will slow the game down and is a bad idea, but I assume you're about to tell me it doesn't. No, I'm surprised by how well this game runs because I have put everything on high, 4K, yep. 4X, MSAA, anti-aliasing, maximum like uh, anisotropic filtering. It just runs perfect. <laughs> I had to step down. I, I first tried eight times anti-aliasing. That caused momentary judders. But it's a 4K with 8X anti-aliasing. That's as wasteful a decadent as you can get. <laughs> and you do have improved visual effects, like the depth of field. Depth of field in most games, you can see like lines where it starts and often the uh, effect yeah. can be stand out in a negative way yeah in this the improved pc version of depth of field it's pretty much perfect you can't tell where it starts it's so perfectly integrated into the scene it's the most tasteful and subtle and effective <laughs> depth of field i've ever seen <laughs> and it's like i look at it and it's like this can't be a cheap effect, like rendering-wise, but it's so perfect, and it never slows the game down, ever. <laughs> so it's a, like a flawless PC version. And for like uh, the sequel of this game that's coming out soon on PC, Durante yeah. has added another feature called Instant Continue, which is basically like a save state where... You right-click the game on Steam, you, uh, you choose Instant Continue, and you continue where you left off. And he said that the load time from you starting the game and you being exactly where you left off, bypassing all the logos and menus and everything, it's yeah. apparently one second. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, look, I get why companies obsess over you seeing their logo all the time, but... I feel like there's a way of doing it quicker than games do it, you know? Yeah. I feel uh, like the first time you load up the game, <laughs> you get the full logo. The next time, you get buff, buff, buff game. Yeah, and it, I think this reveals how much bullshit all the menu load times and everything really is, because this, yeah. if, it, if you can get into the game exactly where you left off in one second, <laughs> like, yeah. why isn't this a standard feature? And this game has another wonderful convenience feature that was added for the PC version, which is turbo mode, where okay. R2 on the gamepad is uh, fast forward. You, at any point in the game, you can just hold the game down and you fast forward. You make the gum, huh. game run at 4x speed. So huh. in any cutscene where there's a slow camera pan, an awkward edit, <laughs> you can just hold it down and you just wow. speed it up. And it doesn't speed up the music but it speeds up everything else in the game. This works in combat, it, it, when you're walking around, and in any, even in load transitions that are kind of put there arbitrarily by the game, like if you rest and the game fades to black and uh, song plays, you can just hold on R2 and fast forward through that. Yeah. 
all the little boring bits, little slow, awkward uh, bits in games. Here you can just hold it down and then release it when you want to see what's happening again. Like a boring conversation, you just uh, fast forward uh, and mash the skip button. This it's so this is wonderful. It's a wonderful convenience feature. Like <laughs> oh, I want to grind in this area. I just hold down the fast forward button. I run around super fast. Combat like load times are instant. I just mash the button and combat flies fly through the combat and it's I love this feature. It's and I wonder, like, why? Why isn't this normal? Like, in movies, in audio, in every other medium, you you have these convenience features where you can immediately start where you left off. You can watch. Uh, you can fast forward. And this is like the first game I've ever played that has this feature. All these features in it. That's that is amazing. I mean, one of the things that um, <laughs> what, what I remember um, being told quite reasonably that the Switch because it back to being a cartridge based system it doesn't have load times and that's that was always the point of cartridges you know you mm. just there's the data and you make it be part of the motherboard and there's no load times this is not the case it takes a long time to load up your save game every time including if you just died and you're going to be put back exactly where you were it's still a very long loading time and i don't really understand why that is um yeah. surely surely it could just keep the assets that it already had in its RAM and put you there and then be loading up the the world around it in the background or something. Yeah. Yeah. And, and with this, because I played the PlayStation 3 version <clears throat> first, I know that, you know, I, all the little pauses of, oh, we're saving the game, we're saving the system data file. In the PC version, everything's instant. Load times are like immediate. Instantly into combat, out of combat, you save the game and it's like, press save and it's just done you can see like a one frame flash of like saving system data showing up and disappearing (laughs) this is i'm so glad i got the pc version i mean i noticed when i first started it because i had it in fresh memory because i played first 50 minutes on ps3 on this tv at this seating distance and then i started the pc version with the max settings and it's like double the frame rate like or eight times the resolution and all the effects tuned to be better and it's like yeah this is so good looking compared to the ps3 version it's you know the ps3 version i thought looks fine but now it looks like a piece of crap <laughs> compared to this <laughs> and and the convenience features alone make it so much nicer to play because i can feel like the pacing of it becomes so much better when like any part that I can tell is a bit fluffy and unimportant. Just being able to fast forward through that and still yeah. just skimming through the text and yet getting the gist of it. Like, you play Jakusa Zero, you know, any part where, like, the camera mm. pans at a certain set speed and there's just a little bit too long of a pause between lines. Yep. Here, you can just hold on R2 for, like, a second and you just make the whip pan faster. I'd, I'd go further and say that nearly every game has in it somewhere a slow camera pan. Yeah. And it's never justified. No. It, it, I don't think there's ever any reason for it. Because, uh, except, like, no, nope. <laughs> it's not justified. I know that sometimes they use it to establish, like, when you're high up and they're showing you the big city under you. So, like, you know, in the... So in the Assassin's Creed games or in uh, Breath of the Wild, it does the same thing. When you're up a, a big tower and you've conquered one, 
it shows you how big the world is. And okay, I'd quite like that, but that's it. The thing of slowly panning up towards the thing so the game knows that you've noticed that that's something you've got to interact with soon. No, never justified. <clears throat> yeah. By the way, this is a this is, it's my dream now to have more games with these features, but it's only the Durante led ports that are doing this. So it's like this game, the sequel coming out sometime soon, maybe the sequel after that, but it's like this is yeah, I'd, I'd hope that people would pressure other games into adding this, but it's like, no, I don't think it's going to happen unless they hire him. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, another bonus feature is that uh, the uh, people who localized this game, they couldn't afford uh, to add the Japanese voice acting too. So what people have done is they ripped the audio tracks from the Japanese console versions, and it's super mm-hmm. easy to patch in the Japanese voice tracks, just to the PC right. version. It's just, okay. it's just a folder of WAV files that you copy-paste into the game folder. Hooray! <laughs> so I did that, because the PS3, uh, the, the English voice acting, I guess it's, it's... I've read that it's fine, but it's anime-styled English voice acting, which means that there's always a cringe factor, because everyone's overacting. It's matching, I guess, people's expectations of what anime voice acting is like. So it's cartoony, and I feel like, now oh, fuck this! I'll just go with the Japanese voices because I'm more used to that style. And uh, so I did that, you know, super easy. Like uh, you just Google Trails of Cold Steel Japanese voices, and it's like, oh, here's a uh, mega link, and you just download it, copy paste in, and there we go. <laughs> and. Uh, a pleasant thing, like I've I've always enjoyed the soundtracks of uh, the uh, the Falcom games, and this mm-hmm. I haven't really listened to the soundtracks of these games out of context because I feel like so much is lost when you listen to a game soundtrack outside of its context. So when I started playing this, I, it was a pleasant surprise. It was like, oh, it's a JRPG soundtrack that I actually enjoy consistently. Like Final Fantasy Fifteen had like maybe three four good songs in it and then it was like hours and hours of just bland nothing and in this i'm more like pleasantly surprised that almost every song i hear is like catchy and makes me happy to hear it and like no jrpgs used to be like this when i played them in the early 2000s this feels uh, pleasantly retro (laughs) and anyway so the story of this thing because I i i had no idea what i was in for because, uh, like, nobody talks about these games. And if you read a review, you don't really get an idea of what they're like. And mm. uh, just, like, meeting another human being who's played these games, uh, you're not going to get anything meaningful out of them either. So I, I, I knew that they were like, okay, you, you're at a student at a something, maybe. But I, I w- mostly just went into this on blind trust of the developer because I liked them. <laughs> Yeah. But anyway, turns out that this is a, a steampunk game, and you're a student at a military academy, and uh, you're uh, start out uh, first day of school, and you're put in a special class, the first one in history where people of different social standings are placed in the same class. So immediately, the the nobles and commoners uh, kind of are upset with each other. The commoners speak very politely to their other. Uh, the noble students and the noble students are just 
angry that they have to consort with Riff Raff. And I felt like immediately there was something for me to latch onto here because there was like inherent drama potential in the setting and uh, there were just little things that I enjoyed here. And the way you play the game is uh, you play uh, like four or five days in a month and then it, there's a time skip to the next month. And like each chapter okay. is like a slice of time here. And uh, you do study stuff in school. And this is one of the most funny things. There are books you can read and you study for tests. And the tests are on world lore stuff. <laughs> like military tactics they use in this world and like okay. trivia about okay when did the government start building the rail system and stuff like that which laws were implemented the last year like oh no yeah and i use a guide for this stuff because there's no fucking way i'm going to remember that the, oh in the year in 952 the government started building the rail system because that's when we invented this fantasy technology i mean look <laughs> look that's a cool idea and I know that maybe this is this makes me sound very granddaddy, mm. but I'm not playing games to do tests and exams and go to school. <laughs> yeah, uh, 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 because I'm using a guide, I f I'm finding this mostly funny and adorable. Yeah, and the effort they went into like fleshing out the world. And this is you do test stuff, and then you can hang out with your friends. And there's you have the uh, like points that you can spend because time advances when you hang out with your friends so you can only hang out with a certain amount of them and there's always someone you have to exclude from hanging out with and when you hang out with them you add points to your link and in combat based on the strength of your link with your body you can do certain special attacks like if you hit an enemy and you unbalance them your friend can come in for a bonus attack and you unlock new types of those uh, during combat uh, with your links when you hang out with them. So anyway, uh, you do go on field trips uh, to various cities in the world and help the local population. And a common recurring theme here is like the, the local leaders uh, raising taxes, investing a suspicious amount into uh, new military gear and reinforcing the military bases. And there's no war going on, but clearly building up to one. And this whole game feels like a very slow build-up. Because I'm 15 hours into it, and you could say that, quote-unquote, nothing is happening. <laughs> it feels very undramatic. But I'm also surprised by how much I'm enjoying it. Because it's very focused on, like, establishing uh, the world, the, the people's place in the world. W then trying to understand, like, okay, why? what am I hoping to get out of my education here? What is it for? What are the tr teachers trying to... T uh, tell us here with its assignments and it feels like they thought through and fleshed out the world in a very good way and this scratches that itch kind of like uh, Witcher does where it feels like you're playing a whole series of books just mashed into a single game Yeah, and because it's so undramatic I feel like I can't recommend it to someone expecting to go into the game and get like a traditional straightforward arc plot where it's a simple like inciting incident the uh, build and whatever i'm i get now why people really like this and i also feel like i don't have anyone i can recommend this to apart from <laughs> mr psb who plays like on the xenoblade games i know he 
is capable of wasting hundreds of hours on like JRPGs that look dodgy. So yeah, I could recommend this <laughs> to him, but in my daily life, I wouldn't recommend this to my brother uh, because I know he's too impatient. Um, I wouldn't recommend this to you because I knew you would bounce off the style immediately and you have other things to do. <laughs> well, yeah, the, the, the time sink alone means that it's too much for me. Yeah, but I feel like I'm appreciating JRPGs in a whole new way from playing this. I feel like I understand the appeal better of uh, right. the medium I've, and... I feel like I'm I'm reconnecting and f- like updating my frame of reference for this entire genre and uh, how how it would fit in my life, etc. So it's making mm. me more liable to play more of these, and uh, especially this series because it's a uh, three game. There's three Trades of Cold Steel games that have been released in Japan, two of them in English, and it's all the same characters with the same story arc and a fourth mm. game coming out in 2018. And that's supposed to be the end of it. And it's like, how many game series, apart from like Witcher, can you think where it's like multiple like 50 hours games with the same characters in the same setting just... Well, and even Witcher cheats on it. I mean, really, it's not the same, is it? It's kind of Witcher 3, the characters from Witcher 3 were mostly just sort of glanced at or mentioned vaguely in the previous ones. Yeah, Yeah, it's, it's, it's it's quite a unique thing. Yeah. And now I feel like, oh, I'm actually looking forward to playing the sequels and continuing yeah. this game. This is, I guess, the most positive thing I can say about it. It's like, I'm 15 hours in, I enjoyed my time so far, and I'm really looking forward to playing more of it. And Fair enough. the prospect of a sequel, I'm really looking forward to it. it. It's not like with Dragon Age Inquisition, where the prospect of a sequel feels like a threat by the developer <laughs> to the world. <laughs> <laughs> no this feels like oh i, I actually like this <laughs> so yeah and uh, i wouldn't recommend it to anyone listening to this <laughs> just think that nobody uh, would uh, enjoy this and uh, you kind of have to stumble over this by yourself it's that kind of game there's certain things where it's like, no, you have to be a certain person at a certain time who naturally stumbles over this, and then you'll appreciate it. And uh, if yeah. you recommend it, I, I don't feel it has... There's so many, like, initial barriers that I feel like... it. No, it's not for people outside of the genre, really. It's not for the wider audience. It's it's not Zelda Breath of the Wild, which you can just recommend to anyone. It's, it's not this kind of game. And it's... It's not. It wasn't conceived as such either. Feels like we're a small company making games for like a uh, hundred thousand people, and they keep us afloat. And that's what they did here. And I just happened to be in their in the strike zone of their audience. It turns out. <laughs> that's lovely. Yeah. That's a that's a that's a real not not exactly what you'd call success story, but what I would call success story. Just being able to carry on doing the thing you wanted to do for this long is great. Yeah, I just like it that they <clears throat> they, they managed to hit this balance, or it's like they're clearly achieving what they want story-wise with the setting and all that stuff. It doesn't feel compromised that way. It's only compromised in the production value. And it feels like once you get over the hump and you get used to this, the level of production value in this, again, it's like pixel art. You kind of stop seeing the flaws after a while. You're just in the story with the characters, and it's good enough. And uh, yeah, so 
<sighs> I did one more thing this week. Because, you know, week's not much time, but I remembered that I, I listened to the audiobook of Fire and Fury. Ah, now, me too, although I'm not, I'm not through it yet. Yeah, I was wondering if you'd have listened to that or read it. Yeah. Um, and I'm about, I'm, I'd say I'm about halfway through. Yeah. And the, I'm, I'll tell you where I am. I'm at the bit where it goes, chapter whatever, Russia. That's uh, where I've got to. Yeah. Well, the reason I forgot when I, yesterday, when I was going to tell you what I did this week, and kind of a, a couple of hours afterwards, I remembered that, oh, yeah, I, re- I listened to that audiobook version of Fire and Fury. It's because it's, it's, this is a very entertaining book, but it doesn't exactly delve deep into the characters involved. It feels yeah. like a recounting of the major events of the first 200 days of Trump's presidency. Yeah. And but it's kind of fluffy. It's more like anti-Trump, anti-Bannon fan service. <laughs> it is a bit, yeah. But to be honest, that's part of why I was surprised by the amount of um, pushback that it got uh, from people saying, like, "Well, this is this is all made up," um, because because we already knew all of it. Yeah, this, this is... is this is just a book that collects it together and presents it yeah this is like nothing in this is new or surprising everything is like yep i saw this on social media (laughs) well i think that's what it is i think that i think that's the difference i think this because this is a book and because it's on tv and stuff normies are reading it you know people who Mm. are who don't know what's going on because of social media already um yeah and it's so it's so funny the sequence of events. It's so, and it's like you, you, it's amazing to think that all this shit happened in such a short amount of time. <laughs> That's what makes it most funny and most distressing, I guess. <laughs> but uh, you know, it does because it's come out, I guess, too quickly. It it does it does, and it doesn't have the depth in the material and i feel like that that's again a bit disappointing if people want to know what quote-unquote really happened and understand in a more wise way what you're going to think about this it's not really that this is more trashy and it's totally justified in selling loads of copies because it is very entertaining in that kind of trashy way Uh, but it also feels like you go away from it and you immediately forget that it happened because it's like, yeah, I knew all of this. There's nothing new here. Yes, it's to me. It's it, it serves as a sort of one of the one of the things about the Trump is that so many so many really out there things happen all the time that you don't remember any of them. Like, you know, he he can do something really really wild and and unprecedented. And by the end of the week, he'll have done five more of them, and the first one will be forgotten. And that that's never happened before. You know, anything a previous president or prime minister for us or whoever, or celebrity or anyone, usually they they do one big thing per... Like, for example, the guy who, who did the YouTube video in the suicide forest. That's the thing he did. Yeah. We know that that's the thing he did. If he did something as big as that in every video... The suicide forest thing will be completely forgotten very quickly because we'd all be on to raging about the next thing. And so I find this book useful as just a reminder, just a co- collection of what happened um, that we did know, that we did already know about. But here it all is presented essentially as a single event, i.e. a book 
I think that's helpful, and I think that helps to put a certain amount of perspective. Basically, it's like watching a, a, a rerun of the whole presidency so far, and that 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 is useful. Yeah, I'm sure it is useful to some, but I, I, yes, I feel it's, it might. But I feel it's more like uh, an author getting a paycheck. Like, okay, this it's my job to write, so I'm gonna do this, and it's gonna sell well. And hopefully yeah. he can build on this and in the future make a more bigger encompassing uh, look back at this presidency. Well, well, possibly. I mean, I don't know. It's, it's always difficult to tell who to listen to in these circumstances, but I certainly saw some criticism of the... I've never heard of this writer before, yeah. um, but I did see quite a bit of discussion of him as not that... It, <laughs> I didn't get the impression this was someone who was about to do like a huge Pulitzer winning big piece of serious grown-up journalism. Um, uh, yeah, <laughs> I guess it, sh it shows in the trashy style of the book. <laughs> yeah, but I do think that that was what was needed for this. I think that yeah. the, basically, I think that I think the success of this is that it is something that anyone can read rather than just people who are already congratulating each other on how intellectual they are for noticing what's wrong with this guy you know yeah <laughs> Here, here's a trashy entertaining book it's almost as if like you know the the um the amanda yanucci death of stalin film that's out now it's like that it's like the it's like the the silly film adaptation of the whole thing mm. but it happens to be a book you know yeah <laughs> Anyway, other things happened this week. They did. Yeah. And I guess uh, some of it is worth mentioning. This is an old favorite of ours. I think it passed by most people, but it's uh, a recurring thing. So all Transformers games have been removed from Steam because the license expired. Oh. <laughs> Oh, that annoys me so much. Yeah. I'm so annoyed because I got one and I've never got around to playing it. Yeah, it will still be in your library, but nobody can ever buy these again. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. I was thinking of getting the next one if it was good, but now I can't. So nope. there's no point playing it now. Yep. <laughs> this is a, a recurring annoyance. Where it's this like, is oh. annoying. And why don't they give us? Why don't they give us a warning? Like, why isn't there a like? Losing the license sale, like closing down sale. Everyone buy this game now. Yeah, they did it for Alan Wake. And Alan Wake is still not back on sale. The, yeah. the, the licenses expired for the music. And they, they were trying to like, oh, we're going to try and renegotiate the deal. But I looked at it like a few weeks ago. And it's like, you know, like nine months later, the game is still not back on sale. And they did have a, like a 95% off. Uh, this game is disappearing from sale. sale. <laughs> I think most people were able to get it then. Um, but since then, it's, it's gone. The only way to get Alan Wake is to buy a used copy, physical, or pirate it. And it's going to be the same for these Transformers games now. Where it's like, oh, you want to play the uh, Platinum Games Transformers Devastation? Well, on to Pirate Bay. Yeah. It's effectively Abandonware. For like a yeah. modern console game. <laughs> oh, that's weird, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, I don't. Oh, I mean, at least with this, I can't. I can't look at it as like a new symptom of the games industry being bad now, because you know 
games went out of print before. It's not as if that wasn't a thing. You know, we all went round the, yeah. the 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 local market and bought secondhand Amiga games or what have you. That's normal. Yeah, and we we see this. I guess with streaming services like Netflix, like they have limited licenses, stuff shows up and disappears. And yeah. it's just a bizarre new occurrence where it's like, we didn't yeah. think this would happen with like digital sales of games. It's like, of course the entire backlog of all human culture will be available <laughs> for purchase. Why not? It's like, no, we yeah. have a limited license here. And yeah, because it's past relevancy, they're never gonna renew it. <laughs> that's it. That's that's what it is. It's when it's when no one. What really bothers me is when no one cares about making money off a thing and still don't give it to you. <laughs> yeah, you have an army of lawyers to protect their rights to not yeah. sell it. <laughs> yeah. Ah, <laughs> uh, I guess the, the only it. hope for Transformers games coming back for sale digitally anywhere is you know Deadpool they made a game and then it, they only licensed the right for Deadpool for one year so it disappeared after a year of existing oh my god and then the Deadpool movie was made and they ah. relicensed the game and it came yeah. back on sale <laughs> yeah but that's also a limited thing when they stop making Deadpool games the sales chart for the Deadpool game will um, go down and they'll stop renewing it and then it'll go away again. Yep. So the, the, the only hope for Transformers is someone makes a good Transformers movie again. Oh dear. <laughs> Unlikely. Yeah. But we never thought they'd make a Deadpool movie. So That's true. Yeah. It, it can happen. It can. You know, Batman is a joke these days. The Christopher Nolan Batman movies, they were still made. You know? At, yeah, at some point right. you could take Batman seriously. <laughs> yeah. It could happen again, you know. The Christopher Nolan Transformers movie comes out. <laughs> That's right. And and you know, as uh, as Movie Bob said, it really it, it was only one year between like I can't remember what films he said now, but like the film that killed superhero, like Batman and Robin. And then Spider-Man or something like that. There was, yeah. there was two films that were polar opposites in terms of success. And they were about a year apart. These things can happen and they can happen quicker than you think. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. Um, I guess the most important thing that happened in games news. The easily the most amazing thing. Because it's just nobody saw this coming. Nobody even conceived that someone would do this. <laughs> they're like nobody else could do this and you didn't even think that they'd do this of course i'm talking about nintendo labo yeah it, i mean i mean i i re-watched the video and it's just it's an incredible thing it's like it's you can't, you can't believe amazing. it's real and that's yeah, actually it's coming just out phenomenal. yeah it, i can't believe i mean <laughs> it's amazing so this so yeah, so for okay. people who don't know what it is, because they maybe only saw yeah. the headlines, Nintendo Labo, and it's like, what the fuck is that? So I don't well, care. Well, I mean, you didn't know until sort of very recently, right? No, I, I yeah, I, I saw Nintendo Labo show up in headlines, and it's like, oh, I don't yeah. care. And then I saw the BitSocket made a parody video, and then I watched that, and it's like, oh. And then I went and watched the real trailer uh, reveal for it, and it's like, have yeah. you seen a parody video and the real video? I'm like, 
amazed that it's not like just a concept thing. Yeah. For like we all, we had CES and like Samsung showed off like micro LED TVs, the future of TV tech, and people asked them about the time frame of that technology existing uh, being made and like in a practical way, and they said, "Oh yeah, we see this c- coming in consumer TVs." Within one to nine years, as like, oh, so it's not real then. One to nine <laughs> years, I'm gonna skew on the longer side then because you're ho- <laughs> you're yeah, leaving it, it open I mean, as a take coming in nine years. <laughs> yeah, I love the BitSocket parody of it, but if yeah. you'd only seen the BitSocket parody of it, you might think that what they were taking clips from is a a, a concept video along the lines of. You know that creepy boy that Peter Molyneux was going to sell. <laughs> yeah. No, this is this. It's a real thing coming out in April for sale, and because it's a thing made of cardboard, they're gonna make the uh, plans for this available online, so anyone can cobble this thing together for free at home if they have pieces of cardboard and string at home. <laughs> oh my god! I didn't know that. Yeah. That changes it even again because my one right. In case you don't know, Nintendo Labo is a, a load of car, like corrugated cardboard, basically, it seems like. Yeah. S- scored and popped out, and you, you pop it all out, and you click it all together, and what you get are like you these foldable, you build them yourself, pieces of light engineering, which once you've made them, um, I mean, the easiest one to describe is the, is the, uh, the robot arms one, yeah. where you you fold these arms around yourself so that you're now in a sort of cardboard mech suit. In real life, physically you are. And then, as you punch with your arms, there's a Switch game where your character punches. There's another one where, you know, you you can make a little cardboard car. You put your Switch screen in it. You move it around. The car in the game moves around. It's... Yeah, it's like a Lego sort of idea, that like Lego Technic, that sort of thing. Yeah, and we've seen like plastic accessories, like a racing wheel and gun and whatever, where you put the motion controls in, being sold. But this is because it's just cardboard. They're going the kinds of things they show. It feels like they they made so many variations on this that you can't yeah. do if it's hard plastic, and they'll be able to make more variations on this, like. Every quarter, they have a collection of mini games with new yeah. cardboard shapes, and <clears throat> yeah, they'll just be able to constantly. This is a new Skylanders. They'll yeah. just be able to bring them out. It's a new Amiibo. Um, but what they, um, the, my one criticism of it is, stroke was the price. Mm. You know, it's a lot. It's like seventy quid oh. or dollars. Um, and but my thing is, I don't know what that gets you. Yeah, if it get it, right. It, if it gets you the, if it gets you the game. And a load of cardboard with like every possible thing that you can make. That kind of makes sense. Yeah, um, because it's not just cardboard; it's pieces of string. It's very low tech. Yeah, but that's not string and elastic band and sellotape. It's not. We're not talking about. We're talking about stuff that you could get for like ten quid altogether down the lo- local shop. Yeah, and they showed many different sheets of it for yes. different kinds of shapes. And I'm hoping that this is just. All of it that the game can use in a single pack, yeah. combined with the game, yeah. yeah because what? Because then what should happen is, um, after that, it should be no more than I think five, but let's go as far as ten pounds 
for an add-on pack. It should be they the add-ons should be cheap. It should be something a child can afford themselves. And um, quite frankly, I think what they should do is that the uh, the extra add-ons and like future releases and so on should come free with some Nintendo Kids aimed magazine. Mm. Like this is something that's uh, this is free gift style stuff. Yeah. Um, and if they keep it, patching the game to include compatibility with new shapes and stuff rather than making you buy more stuff um then it will be perfect as it is there is a question mark over whether this is a bit too money grubbing for for what it is because what it is is pure like not creativity because you have to follow the guide but like the kind of creativity that that an engineer has that uh, like someone who knows how things work how to put something together and can follow that and can make it yeah and the creativity is in making it work perfectly i think that honestly what we've got here is a device that that trains kids to be engineers um yeah i mean this there's something wonderfully human about this it feels like nice toy maker working in a shed that makes something uh, for kids to delight them that's something about this that feels like that <laughs> that's the cr- they share creativity here with the stuff they do with it. It doesn't feel like uh, like a corporate monolith and a bunch of suits that came up with a plastic racing wheel accessory. Or it's, yeah. uh, they really managed to capture something here that uh, a playfulness to it. <laughs> and the cardboard adds to the feel of it, the the friendliness of it. No one else would do this, and I didn't even think that Nintendo had it in them to do something like this anymore, or yeah. or ever. Yeah, it's it's just it's a genius idea. We hadn't come up with it. Nobody nobody was thinking oh, it'd be cool if someone did this. But they because the thing is, if Nintendo hadn't done this, phones could have, or just yeah. a random company could have done it, and you put your phone in. But they made it, or could they? I think it actually has to do with how you insert the Joy-Cons where and, like, what sensors they have. Anyway, it's flipping brilliant, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, Now, there's one thing that I'm not quite sure about in the coverage of this. Um, I've said that this is something that's going to teach kids to, like, or at least put them in the right headspace to be engineers because it's all about, you know, let's, let's rig this up with an elastic band so that can turn and that can do this and this shape will make that shape and things like that. But I've seen a lot of coverage of this that talk about it in terms of... uh, that don't mention engineering at all, Mm. but do mention coding. Um, Nintendo's cardboard toy teaches kids to code, I've seen as a headline. Uh, Yeah, it doesn't really. (laughs) When I look... Well, I was assuming that this is because I didn't know something about it that wasn't in the trailer. So So I opened that article that I saw, and it didn't mention at all what it was talking about. It just... It just described the product the way we know about it, and and that was still the headline for some reason. So I have no idea what they're talking about. I don't know if there's a well, for example, if there was a coding aspect to it, i.e., okay, here are the set shapes, but here are the tools to make the software with. So if you make a turny roundy handle, here's the turny roundy handle command in the game. What can you put that with to solve problems? Because engineering and coding do kind of come from a similar starting point. It's to do with like taking what there already is and putting it in a different sequence to make a new thing happen. Um, yeah, so, but I, from what I'm seeing, that's not what this is. No, this, me neither. Yeah. This is a preset bunch of software that's yes. meant to work with these shapes. It does. This is not Labo Maker. <laughs> no, no. So I don't know why... 
maybe someone misunderstood something maybe. about this. Yeah. Anyway, that that would be the next amazing thing they could do, but I don't think it's reasonable to expect that because that's quite a different thing to do. <laughs> I mean, yeah. okay, here's the closest. I've just found a paragraph that seems to be the closest thing to this that I can find, and it says, uh, this is on The Verge. Uh, Labo is both unlike anything Nintendo's made before and something feels distinctively Nintendo. Um, the company has a history of blah, blah, blah. Uh, Labo takes... So similarly take something very of the moment the idea of giving kids a better understanding of the technology that surrounds them and fits it into an unconventional and playful package labo isn't going to teach children how to code but it could very well be the starting point for getting them interested in being more than a passive consumer of technology no see again i think this is just people who are i think this is coders i think this is people who are already in the mindset of like oh this teaches children to code and or, or rather in the mindset of thinking of things in terms of coding, and they're, they're missing the the point of this, which is that it's a purely physical exercise, yeah. but one which is still engaging the brain in a in a creative way. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. It's great. Yeah. And it uh, it looks delightful, and I'm looking forward to it coming out. I'm never going to buy any, nope. but I, I fully approve of it. I, I, the, the best tweet I saw about it was someone who said, look, if you don't think... Because there's been a lot of pushback to this, of course. The idiots have been saying, well, this isn't for us, so it's bad. Yeah, but it, this this is a wonderful kids game. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah. And so I saw someone say, like, look, if you don't get the point of this, you're not a parent because my kids went absolutely nuts when they saw this. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, it's time to go. Yes. 